And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everyone, and welcome to a another Hold That Podcast this week. I think this is our third episode of the week. We've had emergency pods and chaos pods because it has been a a wild, wild week for two different sides <laughs> across the country right now. Uh, both obviously LSU shocked you know the world quite frankly and took Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. And on, and on the other side of this, we have a very special guest this week, a guy who, um, along with our our colleague Pete Sampson, uh, has just done fantastic just dominant work on the Notre Dame side of things for the past week and, and in all the time really that's Matt Fortuna who is we are so happy to have with us today uh Matt how are you well, that's a quite an introduction I'll try my best to live up <laughs> I'm to psyched, it I'm psyched man guest, but um actually I, you're our first guest I just realized that we're like anti-guest people and we're like no okay we Brody we're, we're not anti-guest but let's say that this I was, wanted that to be our brand I, I will I will hit set the bar so high for you that you never want to have another guest again how's that sound <laughs> let's Deal. let's yes. just say for all the programs that we cover this was the most consequential week in decades for e- either i don't know it was yeah no oh, for notre dame without question um yeah, yeah. No so that warrants that. a guest that warrants a top tier guest like matt so welcome matt yes yeah thanks for being here matt and, and for those of you who haven't read it yet first off uh listen to the shamrock the matt and pete's notre dame podcast which is also recorded like three or four this week i think <laughs> and, and it's been i've been listening to it nonstop just to get some background and also they did a, a great piece on the 24 hours of brian kelly leaving notre dame and just a lot of great background there so so stay tuned with them but i, I have to start with just the and i know you've answered this like 10 times this week just walk me through the shock value and the kind of chaos on your end the past week yeah, it's been crazy, right? I mean, we're sitting here Thursday, and I wouldn't say the dust has settled, but like, hey, thank you, Notre Dame, for at this moment appearing to have made like one of the quickest coaching searches ever. <laughs> and because of who it was, this staff might be filled out by like tomorrow. You know, like it's that USC hires Lincoln Riley, and you know, all hell breaks loose because now Oklahoma's open and uh, there's a search there going on, and who knows what the domino effect of that will be and so forth. Uh, but Notre Dame. It, so much has happened. There have been such wild swings of emotion in both directions over the last 72 hours or so. And, you know, we'll start obviously with Monday night when, um, I, sh- I should say Monday afternoon when, when our colleague Bruce Feldman initially reported that, you know, LSU was seriously pushing for Brian Kelly. And um, from my understanding, the reaction to folks around Notre Dame was similar to the reaction of myself and uh, presumably um, <laughs> most of you guys as well, which was like, cool. Like Brian's a good coach. A lot of people are coming after him. It's a shame. It got out that this is, you know, his name is now linked to this job, but it's a leverage play reeked of leverage. It yeah. reeked of yeah, leverage. It reeked play, of yeah. leverage. Um, he'll be back. That's that. And, you know, as our colleague Pete said, it, it just felt like a game of chicken that went too far. Um, because when he accepted the job and when, you know, the reports came out that night, I mean, you know, it was, I never had an easier time getting people on the phone at Notre Dame because they knew even less that, than I did. 
Um, and I was as blindsided as everybody. And you had assistants spread all over the country recruiting, um, wondering what to do. You had people in the building wondering what to do because uh, not only was you know Brian Kelly gone, not only were the assistants recruiting, Jack Swarbrick was en route to Dallas for Wednesday's college football playoff meetings uh, before obviously tailing it right back to South Bend um, to, to calm the nerves and, and get back to family business. Um, with Notre Dame. So it was so wild. It was so hectic. Um, Pete and I obtained the, the message that, that Brian Kelly had sent out to the team about, you know, 7 a.m. meeting tomorrow. Sorry, you had to find out this way. And I'm sure you've seen the video by now, or at least have read yeah. the comments. I mean, that thing went over like a fart in church. I mean, it, it, it was just <laughs> so, like, so grossly miscalculated by Brian Kelly. And I said this to Pete on our show, and, you know, like who thought that was a good idea, right? Like Brian Kelly has never been this warm, cuddly players coach type of guy. Uh, there was certainly some anger and um, betrayal and, and, and hurt feelings felt when he left. But if this guy thought he's going to go out, go back there, get a standing ovation or, or, Hey, we're sad to see you go. I mean, his head had to be really far up as you know what, um, cause that just was never the relationship Brian Kelly had with, with his players in Notre Dame and the fact he's leaving them um, possibly in the middle of a championship run. I mean, these guys might be one of the four teams called for the college football playoff three days from now, which is absolutely yeah. insane to think about. It's the um, most incredible part of this, to it, be honest. Exactly. It's, it's, it's absurd. Um, so the, it, there was just a lot of confusion and anger and shock. Um, and then he goes out there and the part that wasn't in the video and the part that we did not have in our initial story, but we had in our story last night talking about Tommy Reese coming back. <laughs> um, you know, Pete got a call from someone in the room there who, you know, kind of scared, scared the hell out of us, which was, Hey, you guys need to issue a correction to your story. That wasn't right. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, <laughs> We, we saw the video. This is as concrete information as you could possibly find. And they said, no, no, no. You said he exited the bill, the, the room to his right. But yeah, no, 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 he didn't exit the room to his right. So to, to, for the LSU listeners, which is everyone on this podcast right now, Notre Dame's auditorium where Brian Kelly gave that speech um, uh, has a long staircase within that room that connects the first and second level. And after every Brian Kelly press conference in that room, he takes that route to go upstairs to his office. And he decided it was a good idea to take that long route out oh, of no. this um, oh, no. this uh, goodbye meeting to Notre Dame, which again was three minutes and 40 seconds long, awkward, dead silent. You know, someone recorded it, which again shows you the, 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 the lack of care, more or less, mm -hmm. that they had for this man in this moment. Um, Brian Kelly decided to take the long route. Only he can answer why he decided that was a good idea, presumably because he thought he might get an ovation or some goodbyes. And instead, we were told it was the longest, most awkward minute of everyone in that room's life. No eye contact. Kelly had his head down, turned beet red, and that was the last anyone ever saw of him. And he did not talk to staff members there while there either. Now, there weren't that many there because the assistants were um, out on the road recruiting. But, um, yeah, it was <laughs> – it was something. It was something. I mean, as, as, as you all, I'm sure, saw Tommy Reese's video in that same room yeah. telling his players he's staying. Um, the reaction was a little bit different. And that was the first, more enthusiastic. The first call yeah. I got once that video went out last night. I said, so uh, the room tonight was a little bit different than it was when <laughs> someone else got up here 36 Jeez. hours ago, wasn't it? Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the, there was a bit of a, a players-only meeting after that. And, they, you know, they were yeah, – the season's still going on. They had workouts that morning. I, I get the whole, like, why would I show up for a 7 a.m. meeting to see a, a boss who quit on me? Like, no, they, they, they're they college kids. They, they got to work out. They, they got to take care of business. Um, there was – at some point throughout the day between Brian Kelly physically exiting the room and, um, you know, going to work in the weight room – there was absolutely a sense of our disbelief has turned into defiance. Um, you're going to leave us on the brink of a possible playoff run, and you're going to tell everyone at LSU you're going where you can win a national championship? F you, buddy. Let's go out there and win it <laughs> ourselves. We got a chip on our shoulder. You didn't recruit us. Marcus Freeman recruited us. Tommy Reese recruited us. Lance Taylor recruited us. These are the guys we're playing for. Um, and I think that was, you know, whether it's short-term, long-term, an immediate galvanizing effect, I think, on everyone in that building, coaches and players alike. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, what the the long term effect of that really is. But the other part that I think is very telling, and again, not surprising for those who knew Brian Kelly well and followed Notre Dame closely, Lincoln Riley left for USC, and immediately it was, all right, who's going to come with him? Which recruits is he going to poach? Um, yeah. You know, how's Oklahoma going to, you know, calm the nerves of everybody here? Um, Brian Kelly left for LSU and right now no coaches have left with him but yeah. no players no recruits have left with him and that's because again I, I don't mean I don't mean to come off too harsh to Brian Kelly here I don't mean to like kick the guy on his <laughs> way out the door but again he was such a business like guy he was so impersonal with so many people there that you know yeah not a single person came to Notre Dame to play football for Brian Kelly they came because it was Notre Dame let um, me um let me reframe. Go, that go ahead. Because I'm, I'm rambling here. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's fine. No, no. All it's this fine. I, I, I think yeah. it's a good point, and and I think it could segue into kind of introducing what Brian's going to be like as LSU's head coach. Is that you know LSU's last two head coaches have been like hand in the dirt recruiters. They're, they are charming guys. They are persuasive men who uh, are very involved in recruiting. And from what I've read and what I'm gathering, what you're saying is that while Brian Kelly is a great coach, he is not going to be in every single living room all over the country. Like you said, Marcus Freeman ran that. Tommy Reese ran that. So, can you just detail what Brian Kelly's relationship is to recruiting and what that, like, who, who does he need to hire as a coordinators? And you know, he, he, the staff members he needs to hire to really execute at a high level here, like he did there. Yeah, I'll relate to you a quote I had from a, a former assistant of his, who just who, who likes Brian a lot, but could not believe he took this job. And it was Matt. It's so damn exhausting to recruit when your head coach doesn't even try. And people will argue that that's dramatized. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, But no question about it. And Pete and I got so much pushback every time we said this or anytime we wrote it. Um, But the reality of the situation was, you know, Brian Kelly did not get up every morning thinking about how can I acquire 16 to 18 year old talent to help my football team. That's not to say he didn't (laughs) wake up every morning trying to improve his team. Not to say he yeah. wasn't a great recruiter of people. Not to say he couldn't charm the hell out of you if he got in front of you, because we've seen him at his best. And you know, the guy was a a former politician for a reason. He, he he's a really <laughs> sharp guy. He can be very convincing. Um, you know, he, he won over Marcus Freeman last year over LSU, mm-hmm. um, which shocked pretty much everybody. Because even you know, as recent as late afternoon that day, people in Notre Dame's building were telling me he was gone. He's going to LSU, and you know, Kelly change that in the 11th hour um but he you know 
you've seen it down there, right? I mean, whether it's Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, you know, Dabo Sweeney, Urban Meyer, uh, at Odron. These guys are just wired differently, right? Like yeah. recruiting is the lifeblood of their program. And I know that, you know, sounds like an obvious statement. And I think Brian's smart enough to understand that. He's going to have to, you know, hire people who are going to do that for him and help him get him to do that. But, you know, Brian's just not wired that way. And I think that's for a number of reasons, right? I mean, the guy's been a head coach for now 31 years, I think. He, he, he has not had to answer to anybody since 1990 when he was an assistant coach at Grand Valley State Division II. And he's been an excellent program builder, an excellent CEO, an excellent face representative for whatever organization he's working for at the time. Um, But I do think when we get into the nitty-gritty here, one, he doesn't have a big network because he's only really worked for himself. He's been his own boss. Um, So he's had a pretty tight circle, uh, although that has expanded in recent years, and we've seen the dividends pay off for Notre Dame in terms of the winningest five-year stretch in program history coming right after everyone got fired after a four and eight season. So, um, you know, he, he is adaptable. Um, but, but the other part of it is when you're at Grand Valley, when you're at Central Michigan, even when you're at Cincinnati, at least when Cincinnati was in the Big East, when Brian was there, um, you can simply out-scheme people. Like good coaching <laughs> – if you have the best coach, you know, the talent across the board is usually pretty equal. Like, the best coach, the best program is going to win those games. And Brian, to his credit, um, th- this is a strength. It's not a fault. Um, Brian was an excellent offensive football coach and an excellent builder of organizations. And he had a tremendous amount of success doing it his way. And I think um, we've seen it at Notre Dame, right? Like, when he got there, they were terrible. It was a broken program. He completely tore the remaining structure down. It started from scratch, and he pissed off everybody, and he made a lot of enemies, and he <laughs> didn't care. And nor should he have. I mean, it's easy to forget about right now because Notre Dame is in such a good place. But like Notre Dame, when he got there in 2009, I mean, it was like Nebraska now, right? Like, can they ever mm-hmm. win again? Can they ever be good again? Look where they're located. And Brian Kelly completely flipped that narrative. Um, he did an excellent job at Notre Dame, but we've seen it, right? Like there's, there is only so far you can go or can take something where talent doesn't catch up to you. And that's not to say Notre Dame didn't have talent. Cause I think as far as player development, that might've been the best coaching staff in the country. Um, and they, they have the longest winning streak in the country right now of wins against unranked teams. They always win the games they're supposed to win. They always win a lot of games. But we've seen at that playoff level, which Notre Dame is you know, pretty much at right now, especially if they get in this year, right? That'll be three of the last four years they make the college football playoff, which is damn impressive. Um, it, it, it's, it's not even like the thought of them winning a playoff game hasn't even been seriously entertained by anyone right. there. You know what I mean? Like, they'll never say that. Yeah. But like, all right, Notre Dame's a four seed against Alabama. The line's 21. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe they'll cover. <laughs> like, that's, that's yeah. the reality of the situation when um, – their players are so much better than your players and you need to, the only way to fix that is by recruiting. And I know, you know, at a place like Notre Dame, it's not as easy as like, all right, let's just go get this guy, this guy, this guy. But uh, there was always a sense of they're not, they're, they're they're almost self-imposing limits on themselves and making excuses for themselves of why they can't get to a certain place. I mean, the 2018 Cotton Bowl against uh, Clemson is a perfect example, right? They had uh, a first team all American quarterback in Julian Love. 
it was, I think, a 9-3 to game in the second quarter. Love gets hurt. Clemson's next two possessions are long touchdowns right before the half on Love's replacement. Notre Dame did not have a first-round pick, or, or excuse me, a first-team All-American corner on their second team. They only had it on their first team. Whereas Clemson was missing Dexter Lawrence, a first-round pick in the middle up front, and it didn't even matter. The backup ended up getting drafted too. And that's where you really saw the, the, the separation between a damn good program and a national championship winning program. So I'm so glad you said that because I think that's got to be the the underlying question through everything we're looking at these next few years with him is did – and I think Andy Staples, our colleague, said on his podcast, like Kelly took Notre Dame to their ceiling. And maybe so. I don't know the answer to that. But the question is did he take Notre Dame to their ceiling or was he kind of the guy also keeping it there once it got there? You know, and I yeah. think it's, it's a thing of like is he going to go to LSU and suddenly – with, you know, quote unquote, better recruiting resources than unlock him? Or is it going to be, no, he actually has those same limitations. I think that's the thing I'm so intrigued by. Yeah, you and me both. And it, it's a fair question, right? Like, did, did Brian Kelly take Notre Dame to his ceiling? The guy's the winningest coach in program history. It's hard to say, like, oh, you could have done more, buddy, right? Like, it's yeah. he did a really good job, and he did all the hard parts, right? Like, from my understanding, in both of their interviews with Jack Swarbrick, Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman made it abundantly clear um, in their pitches for their current jobs, OC and head coach, like Jack, this thing's in a really good spot right now. We know how to get it to that next level. Like let let's not screw this up. Let let's keep this thing going. And I think that's the genuine belief at Notre Dame right now. I I, I don't know if I said this on air to you or not, Brody. I know I said it to you at one point either on the phone or before, but it reminds me almost a little bit of Urban Meyer at Ohio State in that like that to me was probably the most significant hire maybe in Big Ten history. Like the guy just completely reset the bar for what a Big Ten program could look like. Won big there, won a lot of games. Um, and his infrastructure is still in place right now with everything Ryan Day's doing there. But there was definitely a sense of when he left, all right, thank you for all you've done. We're not going to miss you. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan Day is an excellent coach. Everyone's much happier going to work every day. And we're going to have the same, if not more, amounts of success. And you could argue more, right? Like, this feels like a year ago, but five days ago now, Ryan Day just lost his first ever game as a Big Ten head coach. Or first Big Ten (laughs) game as a head coach. Um, Ohio State's just fine without Urban Meyer. Mm -hmm. I I think there's a similar sense around Notre Dame. Like, thank you. Um, You did the hard part. Whether you took it as far as you could have, I don't know. I think, you know. It's easier to reset the bar with fresh blood than it is with a guy who's 60. Um, so I, I, I think there's a sense of thank you. Um, let's see how we uh, – let's see what the next step we can take. And, look, there's risk in that, right? Marcus Freeman is 35 years old. He's been there one year. He's never been a head coach in his life. This is an incredibly demanding job on and off the field. But uh, Notre Dame feels comfortable enough with Freeman's vision and with the infrastructure in place – uh, to, as you saw Tommy Reese say on video last night, let's go win a bleeping national championship. You never heard that talk from Brian Kelly, at least not like that made you believe it. Um, so, so that was a breath of fresh air for a lot of people in South Bend as well. I, I want to roll back about 24 hours because like we said, every day this week for, for both of our respective, uh, beats that we all cover is felt like a year. Um, how can you take me into how close, it was for Freeman and Reese maybe deciding between staying and going because I mean, 
if you if you zoom out, it's incredible that Notre Dame, Notre, the Notre Dame, like one of the most historic college football pro- programs in the country, decided to hire their defensive coordinator within about 36 hours of losing the head, the winning as head coach in program history. Um, so, you know, that, that takes a, a, an impressive level of decisiveness on Swarbrick's part. And also, I mean, I'm curious about Freeman and Reese because there were reports during the day that they were leaning towards coming to LSU. You know, how close did that get? And what was the ultimate factor for staying? And were those reports, uh, did they affect Freeman getting hired as head coach? It's like, we don't want to lose this guy. Yeah, I think timing played a factor in this and and, and not like in a, Look, Jack Swarwick has total autonomy at Notre Dame, and he is not easily influenced at all. He's not going to be put into a bind. He's not going to be like, well, if I don't hire this guy now, I'll lose him. Like, He's always thinking long-term. He's always thinking big picture. He's always thinking what's best for Notre Dame and for him and for everyone there who, who knows the place. Um, we're Notre Dame. We, we we can probably hire whoever we want to hire, right? Generally speaking. So I, I don't think this was a, a reactionary hire. Um, although, you know, if you look at Ryan Day at Ohio State, um, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, like similar situations, um, it, it seemed to work out just fine for them. And, you know, Notre Dame will obviously take um, situations like the one those two coaches had at their programs. Um, as far as, you know, how close were these guys to not staying at Notre Dame? Um, Marcus becoming the head coach was predicated on Tommy Reese becoming the OC. <laughs> and Tommy Reese was staring at an offer from LSU to make him the highest paid offense coordinator in the SEC. And from my understanding, um, Notre Dame, whether they didn't take it seriously enough or whether they thought they could appeal to Tommy Reese um, simply as being his alma mater, simply by being Notre Dame, simply by being like, hey, you're 29, like, you know, we've got a pretty good deal for you here. You know, you, mm-hmm. should, you should stay. Uh, that wasn't going to fly. LSU was relentless, and they continually upped their offer. And, I mean, it was close. I mean, there were, if you caught me or, or, or anyone there at a certain hour yes, yesterday, much like we all thought Marcus Freeman was going to LSU last year as a coordinator, <laughs> uh, I would have put heavy money on Tommy Reese going to LSU. Huh. It was very close. Notre Dame right. was not budging. And they finally stepped up to the plate. Um, again, I don't think it was about money for Tommy Reese, but like any human being, you need to feel appreciated. Um, you need to know that you're being taken seriously wherever you're going to work. Uh, you need to know that um, you have the trust and belief of the people that are um, you know, hiring you and employing you. And so finally they came to bat. It, from my understanding, was more than LSU's initial offer, less than LSU's final offer. But again, it's a nice chunk of change either way. And it was just more a matter of, of, you know, human support of, hey, this is, we care about you. We don't want to lose you. Right. And again, Tommy Reese walks out that door to go to Baton Rouge. Notre Dame is in the middle of a national coaching search right now. Because I'm pretty sure Marcus <laughs> Freeman's going right with him. Because Marcus Freeman is probably not getting the head coaching job without Tommy Reese as his wow, OC. That's crazy. That was a package deal. I mean, it is... It has been presented as Marcus Freeman is the head coach of the team. Tommy Reese is the head coach of the offense. And to, to, to give our LSU listeners a, a brief background, you know, it, as much autonomy as Brian Kelly gave his offense coordinators in recent years, he's an offensive-minded head coach. He had absolutely zero to do with the defense. And we've seen how good Notre Dame's defense and defensive coordinators have been in recent years, whether it's Marcus Freeman 
Clark Lee, who's now the head coach at Vanderbilt, or Mike Elko, who's now the, head, the defense coordinator at Texas A&M. And it's a hell of a lot easier to be a defense coordinator for Brian Kelly than his offense coordinator. And right. I think Tommy Reese now having like complete autonomy gets to hire who he wants, gets to recruit who he wants. Um, that was a very major piece to him wanting to stay. Um, and again, the, the guy is, um, you know, you, you saw it in the video, but you know, our, our Pete Sam's reported like there were two Notre Dame quarterbacks at Tommy's Reese, Tommy Reese's house with him yesterday as he deliberated over this deal. Like wow. he is close with these guys. He will MF them as hard as anyone. And because he's been in that exact shoe, those exact shoes in that exact room, wearing that exact Jersey, not too long ago, um, his credibility is just off the charts with these players. And it was very important for everyone there to make him stay. And they finally stepped up to the plate and got him to stay. So, and you saw how quickly the dominoes fell with that, right? Marcus is going to be announced as the head coach sooner rather than later. Um, the only guy on staff I've been told won't come back for Notre Dame next year is Jeff Quinn, the offensive line coach, which might've been trending that way anyway, regardless of whether they had a head coaching job or not. Um, hmm. Things moved really quickly and who knows, we may wake up Sunday morning with this staff coaching, getting ready for a college football playoff yeah. game and a, a national championship <laughs> chase in a, a right. season that has already been unlike any other and has been un, as unpredictable feel as right. any other. Yeah. I mean, th- there's no, like Georgia's Georgia. They're, they're the best team in the country right now. But if you're in a field with Cincinnati or Oklahoma State or Michigan, like you got to like your chances uh, of you're at least getting to, yeah. to every, getting to the title game. So I want to go forward on this because – you know, we've talked. I mean, he obviously has thirty years of experience hiring staffs, but like you say, he doesn't have like that obvious circle. So he he will likely have to hire from scratch to some extent right now. But he's done that before, right? You know, twenty seventeen, and he does have a history of hiring good coordinators. You know, your Elkos, your and then elevating Lee, and then you know Marcus Freeman, and, and you know all, he has a history of hiring pretty well. But like you said, it's not an obvious circle. So I guess how would you evaluate his career as a hire? Because he's usually kind of hiring someone who's not necessarily obvious. For the most part, really, really good with a few blind spots. Um, and the, those blind spots have almost always come from personal relationships. Um, you know, Jeff Quinn kind of became the uh, the punching bag for Notre Dame fans this year because historically <laughs> they've been one of, if not the best offensive line programs in the country. And for the first half of this year, they were downright terrible. Now, credit to them for turning it around in the second half, but they, they were tough to watch early this year and and you know jeff quinn and brian kelly go way back jeff quinn is by all accounts a really good guy good human but um as anyone there will tell you was was out of his depths trying to fix this problem on the offensive line this year and and, you know a lot of people think he was just untouchable he was brian kelly's guy and that was that um brian van gorder is the obvious one when you talk about um what were you thinking (laughs) Um, that 2015 Notre Dame team is the best Notre Dame team I've ever seen with my own two eyes. They lost two games to the eventual national runner-up Clemson and the eventual Rose Bowl champion Stanford by two points apiece, both on the road. And they would have been better off with me or you, or me, any of us calling the defensive plays and just telling Jalen Smith to go out there and run after <laughs> the quarterback. It was the biggest waste of, of, of talent I've ever seen. And they still went 10 and two that year. Um, and went toe-to-toe with Clemson and Stanford. So uh, then the next year, when all those guys left, they went four and eight, and well, one and three before Van Gorder got fired, which I, 
you guys will appreciate. I remember it was the same day Les Miles got fired um, at LSU. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but that was the one. And from my understanding, you know, Brian took a heavier hand in at least the whole football team and not just the offense once Van Gorder left. And he got over to defense and during practice kind of just couldn't believe what was going on there um, that frankly he allowed to happen by entrusting a friend of his to run that defense who was out of his elements and was not equipped to handle the job. So other than that one, which almost got everyone in the building fired and frankly did get most people in the building fired, except for Brian Kelly, his tracker track record is really damn good. I mean, most of his coaches have gone on to be head coaches elsewhere, whether it's, um, you know, Marcus Freeman in this case, Clark Lee previously, Mike Elko is a, a head coach waiting to happen somewhere. He was tremendous um, during his one year at Notre Dame. Has been tremendous um, during his time at Wake Forest and at Texas A&M. Um, Chuck Martin, his old offensive coordinator, has been the head coach at Miami of Ohio since 2014, yeah. I think. Even Bob Diaco. Uh, Bob Diaco was a really good coordinator at Notre Dame. Hasn't worked out mm. so hot for <laughs> pretty much anywhere else ever since, but no. he did a really good job at Notre Dame. They got to the BCS title game with uh, one of the nation's best defenses when Diaco was there in 2012. So his track record of hiring um, has been really, really good for the most part. But again, he has not the biggest network in the world and he's in a part of the country. He has never come remotely close to working in before. So he's going to need some people already in place there who know the lay of the land that can help him identify what he needs and who he wants. And, Obviously, you know, someone who knows the area is is um, is a priority. Good recruiters are the priority. And it, guys, you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it was enlightening <laughs> to me to hear from, from someone who's worked down there who knows Brian Kelly. He essentially said, look, it's LSU. In many ways, the place sells itself. You'll get 15 kids in state a year to commit just based on wanting to play for LSU alone. But the only way you win big down here is by getting those extra 10 every year. And the only way you get those extra 10 every year is by going toe-to-toe with Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and Jim Fisher 24-7, 365. And can Brian Kelly do that? And me personally, I think he could do it the first couple of years because I think he's hmm. he's really good at his job. Check back with me three, four, five years from now. Tell me what, what his mental state of mind is when he's had to exhaust himself doing something he's never really been all that comfortable um, doing for so long. I just don't think you can fake that over the long term. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and, and to your point, he has made a point of, uh, keeping some staff from that have been in the building a long time. Corey Raymond's been, feels like for every single coach in modern history, not true, but he's been around for a long time. He's a good recruiter. Um, I did the last question I wanted to ask you is, you know, you've been around Brian for a while and are there any names that pop in your head that he could think about for coordinators? You know, we, we were kind of hearing Freeman and Reese down here and then we don't know Kelly that well or his circle or lack of one as we talk about. So I'm just curious, is there any names that pop into your head? Not necessarily. I mean, look, his old OC at Notre Dame, Chip Long, it was also the tight ends coach there. Um, they mutually parted ways for lack of a better term, but are still very close. I mean, it just Chip kind of wore out his welcome, I think with some people at Notre Dame, which is why he had to go. But um, Chip's at Tulane right now as an OC. Mm-hmm. Um, Chip is an excellent recruiter, knows Brian Kelly very well, gets along with him very well. Probably one of the few people that's worked with Brian Kelly who can truly speak and understand Brian Kelly's language and who can give it back to him. Um, I would not say 
I would say he'd be a very good guy to have in the building, probably as a tight ends coach, okay. um, if you're Brian Kelly. Um, as far as coordinators, that's a really good question. I mean, last year Marcus Freeman was the hot name, right? Every year there's a hot name or two. I, I do wonder who that hot name is this year and what kind of full court press LSU and Brian Kelly put on to get them. Because again, he, you know, he, I don't want to say he's the reason Marcus Freeman chose Notre Dame over LSU. Um, but he played a not insignificant role in rallying Marcus and clearing his decision-making and, and ultimately helping him get over the hump and choosing Notre Dame over LSU. So, um, now Marcus again was the obvious guy, right? Everyone knew the undefeated coach coordinator at Cincinnati is going to get hired somewhere. Right. I don't know who those guys are this year. Um, and yeah. moreover who those guys are, who know the lay of the land in Louisiana and who will, um, not only be a great play caller, but an excellent fit as far as acquiring talent down there. <laughs> and we've kept you, you know, about full half hour, so we'll let you go. But I think I just want to end on just this simple, you know, broad question. It's just, and you've touched on this in ten different ways. But how do you think? Like, how do you imagine this goes for Brian Kelly? And take that however you will. Yeah, you know, when that jo- when LSU's job opened, I remember thinking, "Wow, like last three coaches won national championships there. What a great job." And I've talked to some coaches elsewhere who said, yeah, we're going to get fired right after. Um, we saw what happened. Like, we're good where we are. Like, yeah, winning a championship's nice, but having to look over your shoulder even after you win one isn't something we really want to subject ourselves to. And hmm. so you look at Ed Odron, excellent recruiter, questionable day-to-day head coach, Saturday head coach. Yeah. Kind of like the opposite of Brian Kelly, right? Like, mm-hmm. Brian yeah. Kelly's a really good coach. Recruiting chops, TBD, at least as it relates to what LSU needs. So I do think he will succeed there. Um, I know it hasn't been the, the hottest start as far as him getting denied pretty much by everyone he's asked so far. Um, I know the fit seems awkward, but it's LSU. I mean, there are so many resources put in place there for whomever is the head coach to succeed and to succeed immediately. I think he's a, a smart enough guy to figure out what he should and shouldn't do down there. And I think he wins. And I think he wins big. I really do. What is that a national championship? I don't know. I mean, that, that, that's that's bold to say of anyone because it's the same three teams winning it every year. Um, so I, I don't know if I, I would go that far um, on the show right now before he's coached a game there. I think he'll have the manually in playoff contention. Um, I just wonder long term, right? Like he, he just spent 12 years at Notre Dame. He's not spent 12 years at LSU. I mean, he's 60. He's not going to mm-hmm. spend that long anywhere. Um I do wonder how the pressure of that job weighs and wears on him over the next five years or so. That, that to me, is the biggest question mark. Brian Kelly is a really smart guy and a really good football coach. He will figure it out despite all the potential negatives and landmines we just laid out here on this podcast. <laughs> He'll figure it out. Um, but will he figure out enough? Will he win a national championship? And will he be happy and content there um, after that first you know, bump in the road? I don't know. It's a great question. All right. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I know you're busy. Uh, I know you might have more big news coming any second now, but thank you so much. And to all our listeners, you know, f- go back and read everything Matt and Pete have done because they will give you so much insight on on just the Brian Kelly era. So thank you so much, Matt. And uh, th- yeah, thanks for coming thanks, on. Matt. Thanks, guys. I'll be watching, listening, reading. I mean, we're as fascinated <laughs> in the Midwest right now as you guys are down south. So it should be a Fair, show yeah. if nothing else. It will be. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, have a good weekend.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.